happy 2024 to everybody out there who continues to support my rogue journalistic efforts to highlight uh, the modern day road dogs of of our time and also harken back to my elders who uh, have a longer arc of history, uh, have seen the music racket change over time, uh, but still they were my guest, uh, my first guest of 24, uh, really started his career when all uh, the seminal cats in, in all genres of music were still uh, going pretty strong, uh, whether it was Elvis or Louis Armstrong or Bill Monroe, uh, you know, Dizzy Gillespie, um, <clears throat> you know, Tony Williams, Philly Joe, all these cats, they were still alive that my guest, even if he was just playing their records, could gain the essence of of human-made music in the moment, first take, done. And he turned that into a career, prolific career with a lot of well-known bands, but definitely in an age uh, much later on, it became much more about show and sort of the distractions, everything but the music. My guests continued to try to drive the rhythm and you know, heal sentient cats along the way. But uh, yeah, music for me at this point in my life is completely uh, psychically healing. Um, it's better than any psychotherapy in the world. But I think a lot of patrons uh, miss out on the fact that they, if they bring a fanaticism to the bandstand and get the cats out of their thinking mind, all bets are off. Tris, Tris Imboden, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Oh, Jake, thank you. Wow, that was uh, really well spoken. <laughs> that was right. Off. I wanted to ask you that, because that was right off the top of my head. I've been doing it a long time. I can just riff on it. But like, can you talk about as a drummer? Most cats are like, yo, just keep it in the pocket or just keep. But but to me, the best drumming when it's appropriate is uh -huh. when you're was when you're playing melodically, when you're playing, when you're reacting to the to the to the to the next sound you hear. And I kind of yeah. wanted you to just talk about that evolution of your playing. How early on in your in your musical career were you able to be part of the conversation, not just a timekeeper? Ah, okay. Well, um, gee, I was so blessed, Jake, uh, to be a part of a band right out of high school. I was asked to join a band that already had a record deal that was forming. There were two guys that were in this band uh, that preceded the one that was forming that had the record deal. And uh, anyway, uh, this band named Honk, H-O-N-K. I've seen uh, the records. I've seen those records. I haven't, I haven't heard the music. I mean, I, I'm fast. Go ahead, please. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say we, we, we're so eclectic. We actually, we, we proved two uh, very important acts wrong uh, in their lyrics. One was Jimi Hendrix saying, you'll never hear surf music again. And the other being Loggins and Messina, don't play anything mellow at the whiskey, right? <laughs> we, yeah. We actually did both. Uh, the band went on to uh, the surf music thing. We were that is so yeah that that's so but but really even though you made the soundtrack and whatnot, yeah. And at the core, it was like a <clears throat> that vibe that Orange County surfer vibe. Like you guys played it. You were playing post pop, what uh, psychedelic rock, everything. Yeah, man, and not not just that. The band played everything from like. Blue Rondo all the Turk, you know, like the Brubeck version of sure. that to to uh oh man, I mean oh, that is so all hip. over the that's, map. Yeah, that's the problem, but nobody could uh you couldn't they couldn't pigeonhole you guys. No, they couldn't. And what was cool was, you know, we were also we played original music nearly exclusively, except for wow. the select tune here and there that we just happened to love and wow. you know, couldn't help but play. And uh, so uh, everybody in the band, they were players, you know, too. And so it was very conversational and open-ended, particularly when it came to soloing and that. Uh, and so everybody having come from kind of, um, you know, 
that we were rock and roll people really at heart, but but with the strong jazz influence, you know, we love the interplay um, right. always. And, right, uh, so no, the that, strong adherence to swing, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, man, so it was like, uh, it was such a great kind of training ground for me. And uh, aside from, from just that spontaneous approach live, but also in the studio, we spent so much time in the studio because we had a publishing deal with this company that had their own studio. And so we were encouraged to any time we'd write a new song to go in and, and record it. So I kind of cut my teeth in the studio with that band honk as well. And, uh, you know, we went on to do pretty well. We, we op uh, went on the road open opening for, um, you know, the beach boys. And we played with, we opened for Chicago. It's proved to be prophetic. So funny. So funny. Yeah, we opened yeah. for Loggins and Messina, also prophetic. And uh, wow. at our at our heyday, we sold out a full week at at the Troubadour, man, which was pretty major. You know, Yo, a week? Are you kidding me? A a week? So, you sold well, out a week? If not a week, it was it was five wow. nights. Wow, that's ridiculous. And, uh, yeah, the yeah, as the headliner. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we were, <clears throat> we had become kind of a. A, a pretty good draw in Southern California at the very least. And, and, uh, you know, we caught the ear of a lot of, um, musicians gratefully and, and producers and that. So when the band split up and I moved to LA to kind of seek my fame and fortune as a session player or whatever, uh, people kind of knew who we were already and, and the band was respected. So that was a leg up, you know, for me. So you talk about like uh, the guys in the band about uh, how that they took what they did seriously, but they didn't take themselves that seriously. Do you guys have a lot of humor in your music? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Well, there were some funny, funny cats, I got to say. And there was, was one female in the band, uh, Beth Fichet Wood, who, who uh, married actually Steve Wood, the keyboard player uh and and uh but but yeah very very <laughs> definitely well, uh, what i'm saying is that what i want you to talk to i wanted you to talk to younger cats about um especially in jazz today uh if you go to see a jazz presentation very serious uh a lot of riffology a lot of chops uh not a lot of conversation and i wanted you to and i don't want to paint with a broad brush but the point is that I think the music has become a little bit too precious. Uh -huh. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about um, how that humor lent itself to reaching a, a greater spiritual level. Oh, ah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, Jesus, uh, we cannot any, any of us in life, hopefully, yeah. uh, I, I, hopefully we, we don't take ourselves or life all so seriously that we can't find the humor in 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 just about anything if you look for it. I'm and, with you, brother. I'm with you. <laughs> and likewise in music, you know, I mean, music. And uh, when I was all those years in, uh, I was playing with Chicago. The you know the their their expression was, it's not brain surgery. You know, it's not that serious, you know. Exactly. So don't, <laughs> right. Don't make it so. <laughs> don't try to make it so. Or overthink it too much, you know. And, uh, yeah, so, anyway. Do you um, think that, do you, do you think that um, some of it had to do with, or a lot of it had to do with the fact that you guys learned the music, but, like, you yourself were self-taught, it wasn't, uh, I mean, the amount of cats that I've interviewed that <laughs> were at North Texas or Berkeley right. and didn't even graduate because there was so much work. They went on the right. road. Like it was, it was like a profession. But part of that was because you were making up the rules. Yes, yes. As, as, we, as you went along. That's right. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I kind of at times have, have regretted not having had, you know, Berkeley or or North Texas State or something in my background, 
being self-taught, I mean, I do read and, and, and that, but it's a muscle for me. I have to do a little bit every day or it atrophies, you know? And yeah, it's like uh, real work. It's real work. Yeah. 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 But, but, uh, but man, gratefully, I've been able to glean enough to at least kind of, you know, get by in most situations. Uh, there's, there's some things where I'm way over my head and, uh, and I've been thrust in some of those. Can you uh, talk about a time of being just being like playing from the seat of your pants because you were just going to fake it till you made it? Oh, God, yes, man. Well, uh, I've, a few times. Well, I remember one in particular. I'm not the strongest reader, okay? But, sure. but uh, Harvey Mason had, had, had pulled his hamstring, I believe, uh, uh, playing tennis. And so he couldn't make a few big movie uh and or rather uh orchestra date you know recordings for jingles and and for movies and that so i got some of the the uh overflow wow <laughs> and, and there was uh one particular session i'll never forget <laughs> that that uh it was one of those scores that you know it took five music stands to to accommodate the whole story. right they were all taken together yeah <laughs> and it was with the 70 piece orchestra at the paramount like studio you know <laughs> and oh my god man and uh with a japanese conductor it was a, for a japanese some toyota production or something and <laughs> anyway man I was, God, I was just petrified that I was going to lose my place in the score. And uh, anyway, uh, I somehow made it through. But I remember uh, it was, it went through all these bizarre sort of very Japanese kind of movements. Uh, what which, year, what uh, year, what year was this? Oh, God, it must have been the uh, mid 80s i guess or early 90s yeah early 90s might might have been i remember jimmy johnson was the bass player and he came in and after the first run through uh he kind of looked up in at me in the drum booth and scratched his beard like whoa this is this is different so <laughs> the new <laughs> wait wait who is wait who is this this so it was all funded through like Japanese philanthropy or something? How did it work? Well, no, yeah, I guess it was. It was. It was a. It was a commercial uh, production to promote. Uh, I believe it was. It was a car company, Toyota or something. But it was, I guess, this, this, this piece of film to promote it or whatever. But my God, you know, the Joe Picaro was on percussion. My yeah. hero, my uncle. Oh, I Richard. love the man so much. Rest in peace, man. Oh man, I know. Freaking yeah. love that guy. So he he meant he him, him and Emil were my like my spirit uncles early in my career. Like I I, I mean especially Emil, but I met Joe later. I got to hang with him. I can't imagine oh. how cool it would have been to play with him, man. Oh, oh, it was amazing. But I was so intimidated that that was you know sure. string players are always kind of play behind. So they had a, the 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 conductor, the Japanese conductor, and a click track, and and uh, they were flaming like you know. <laughs> oh my I, I mean, God. where the conductor's hand came down was not where the click track was. And traditionally, string players always play way behind the beat, so I was getting stink eyed from them. <laughs> you were was, trying to push the tempo yeah, yeah absolutely. I, was, I was playing dead center of the click like, right 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 and, right uh, you know trying to it's too fast for them though yeah yeah <laughs> 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 it's funny oh man but so, uh, so uh um that was a situation you know this is something i wanted you to talk about not that you were i'm curious about when you got to la uh the studio scene was pretty locked down. I mean, do you do you know how you got your break into the scene? Yeah, well, back then, you know, music uh, uh, companies, or rather, I'm sorry, publishing companies actually still did demos using, you know, musicians to right. or songwriter songwriter demos, you know, to, to uh, and to to shop songs. Sure. And so back then, you could actually work your way into you know the scene kind of doing demos like that 
I mean, you know, you never knew who, uh, who might hear, you know, uh, uh, a demo and go, well, I like that song. And, hey, I like that drummer. Uh, who did the drums, you know? And so, you know, your name could kind of get around that way. And uh, so, so that's actually what happened with me. Um, I was working with a British artist, uh, Ian Matthews, who was... Yeah, I've was, seen his records, sure, yeah. Yeah, I did a couple of albums with him, and um, and yeah, well, one in Nashville, and then and then one in L.A. And uh, he was actually he had a band called Math Matthews Southern Comfort, but before that, he was in Fairport Convention, a right. uh, British band uh, right. that yeah. uh, of some bad uh, badass psychedelic folk group. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, I was stoked to be working with him. Uh, but this was right about the time I heard through the grapevine about these auditions for this. Uh, Kenny Loggins had gone solo. And right. Uh, right. so I, I uh, my girlfriend kept pushing me to go audition. But we were getting ready to go on the road to open for Little Feet with Ian Matthews. Oh, my God. Ian. Yeah. So I was kind of reticent about doing it. Uh, but of course, God, I loved uh, Loggins and Messina, and when yeah, I they were freaking it, great. Man. When I went to the, I went to the uh, audition, man, and there was like I knew there was like over a hundred drummers that had auditioned. He was looking for a drummer, and for a guitar player, and for a keyboard player, and uh, uh, that uh, that uh, fill out the band. I uh, took some of the guys from the last Loggins and Messina incarnation uh already uh, george hawkins on bass and the two horn players uh, john clark and vince stenham and uh so vince anyway stenham, dude rest in peace man oh man dude he's one of my dude mike clark's a dear friend so we and him yeah. and vince grew him and vince grew up together in oakland making i know up, they were making up the funk before herbie ever did the funk him, Paul Jackson. Yeah, you know that. Paul Jackson. The Oakland Zoo. Yeah, the <laughs> Oakland Zoo was a... Their exactly. Band. You know it. You know yeah. it. Paul Jackson, too. <laughs> Paul Jackson, Vince Denham, yeah. Mike Clark. I mean, so so Denham... All right, so go ahead. You, one of a hundred uh, so, drummers, what happened? So anyway, I I, uh, I went and auditioned kind of uh, thinking I had a deer fart and a windstorm's chance of, of getting the gig. And so I kind of did it to, to satisfy my girlfriend pushing me uh but but then my god i heard the music and went jesus this is so hip kenny had, had done celebrate me home and that was the music we were playing and gad and harvey had played on on uh, the album that album oh, wow. and uh anyway so god it was incredible it was the hippest stuff uh, bob james had produced it with phil ramon and uh so anyway uh, I fell in love with the music and and it just fit right away. George Hawkins and I just connected, man. And it was just like power steering playing with him. Plus, the tunes were so hip and the stuff they wanted me to play was like, you know, my my impersonation of, of Steve Gadd and, and of Harvey. And I love both their drumming so much. So anyway, they kept calling me back. Jake. and so so i was like well, you were like making like you were making a cut each time yeah yeah right well well yeah and and uh they kept calling me back and i'm going oh, oh what happens if i get this gig and i gotta tell ian matthews that i can't go on the road with uh -huh. him. Yeah. but of course i was gonna take the gig with kenny and sure enough man i get this call and uh, kenny says hey you want to join a rock and roll band <laughs> It wasn't exactly rock and roll back then. It was sort of, you know. No, it was like white, blue-eyed soul. White. It was like, you know, exactly. Yeah. yeah, which is what I love too so much. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so I got the gig, and that was really what when uh, you know I I had the privilege of playing on some hit records from then on, man. With Kenny, first of all, and then uh, as a result of some of those records like you know this is it and heart to heart and some of the the tracks i well, I know i mean i'll be honest my two daughters and i i mean my they are gonna love that i interviewed you because caddyshack is one of i mean it's it's just an iconically amazing soundtrack and the tunes are i it, i didn't know till today that you were the drummer on that 
Oh yeah, I did. I'm all right with Kenny. Um, dude, I'm telling you that that <laughs> is. Tell me, I got to be honest with you, because huh? I'm part of part of my whole. I mean, I was born in '78, so uh, yeah. you know, like, like I love the idea. I know that it's it's easier, and there's a lot of technology. It's more cost effective, but right. I just would. Would you say that some of the that the hit records you were on, number one, that particular song you guys hit at the same time, and number two, how many of those hits were first takes? Oh man, well I tell you, because uh, I'm just feeling like I'm feeling like you didn't, you didn't. In some cases, like that tune in Caddyshack, my feeling is like uh -huh. it sounded really fresh. It didn't sound yeah. like there were millions of takes on it. That's that's oh, kind of where weren't. I was going. Yeah, there weren't. Uh, I remember that session very well. It was at the record plant, and uh, they had just built Studio D. I guess it was. I think that's the 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 letter. Right. Uh, and it was like the new room, and Andy Johns was the engineer, and uh, he had, you know, it was that kind of thing where you can set the drums up on like a marble sort of riser. It was wow. all like marble with glass behind it. And no way. Yeah. And I was oh, going, so great. So man. I hit my snare drum and it just went clang. <laughs> and uh, and I was going, Andy, are you sure? Because you could tailor it by, you know, they had curtains and stuff that you could pull to kind of tailor the sound and, and you know, to whatever the musical situation was. Uh, but he wanted it's this wide open uh you know real kind of brash sound from the drums but then uh, and he said yeah trust me trust me so i do and i did and rest his soul man what a brilliant yeah. engineer he was too and uh <laughs> when you hear the record you'd never know that it was so brass sounding when we were cutting it but it we it didn't take but a couple of takes uh, I right. do, I do know that. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't one of those where we really had to chase it and, you know, edits and, you know, getting beat up and all of that, you know, and leaving going to God. I mean, there was plenty of, uh, uh, actually one song in particular, a hit that I did with Kenny, the Michael McDonald and he had written, uh, and Foster, I think uh, David Foster wrote the bridge was, a song called heart to heart and uh oh, man, yeah uh you know that one we just god i thought man we, i we did so many takes of that thing <laughs> and for some reason the bass player uh i i'm I, uh, his name is slipping my mind right now uh but he and i hadn't worked together before and he was he's a great bass player but we were like flaming, man. And, you know, that was cut without a click. So many things were cut without a click back then. And, uh, which and, is, was, tell me that, that so many, that's so beautiful too. Because it was yeah. just, it was about like, does the song feel good? It's not about, yeah, like there's and, a slight and, tempo shift or this, that. It's like, does it feel good? Yes, yes. And that's what matters. But, but uh, I I left that. I mean, I stayed after uh, uh, everybody had left with the producer Bruce Botnick. Um, yeah, I've interviewed Bruce because awesome I thought I thought I thought man, maybe we missed that one. And so he uh, back then the only way to time bar to bar was with the stopwatch. And so he had it broke out a stopwatch and was checking it. And he said, "Nope, it's good. That's all good. That's all good." So they decided to to like uh you know erase the bass track and and then bring the guy back in the next day and so they punched him in like bar to bar and so that we would not be flaming and you can't tell at all when you hear that record that it wasn't all done just all at the same time the, the rhythm section feels like it feels right you know it just feels good so i wonder about um like if you could talk about, um, so that was 1982. I mean, did uh -huh. you, to me, so after the demos in the early, so then you went on the road with, with, uh, with Kenny. 
Yeah. Um, but would you, um, would you come, when you came back, did you do primarily jingles and demos or did you actually, uh, what was your first like non honk record you caught in LA? Oh man. Well, I mean, after joining the Kenny Loggins band and playing on whenever I call you friend and, and uh, this is it, you know, and all, I mean, I'd done three, well, we went on the road that first year with Kenny opening for Fleetwood Mac on the Rumors tour, oh, and which was one of the biggest tours you know, ever. Yeah. And so, man, that was a real, real cool thing for, for Kenny to, to be able to land that. Cause I mean, he was already a star, but known for Loggins and Messina. So to establish himself as a solo, yeah. solo artist, it was really a, a great, great thing. And uh, anyway, after having done those records is what I meant with Kenny, uh, starting with Whenever I Call Your Friend, which was a number two record, I believe. And uh, uh, and then This Is It, followed by that, you know, with Michael McDonald and Kenny song for the uh, Keep the Fire album, which was the second album I'd done with right. Kenny. I was starting to get calls for all kinds of different artists, you know, and uh, and then ultimately uh, David Foster started using me on, uh, I was kind of in his stable of guys with Jeff Picaro and Carlos Vega and JR and uh, huh. uh, and me, I was so flattered to, to you know, to kind of get be in the fold at that point, you know. Well, and I'm gonna so, go back. I want to read off a couple of the. I want you to take us through a couple of these uh, <clears throat> mercurial sessions. This is like prior to, so Bert Janch, Santa Barbara oh, honeymoon, oh, La Cien, La yeah. Cien, and then John Reed. I mean, where those all were prior, and Harriet Shook. Shock. Oh yeah, Harriet Shock. Yeah, yeah Harriet Shock. Yeah. Boy, you sure have done your homework. Hey man, it, after, it just all, it's all, you know, I mean, you know what, man, I remember seeing this honk record. I was like, wait a minute. Tris um, was, I'm like, Tris was on the scene before, way before sh the Chicago days. So I'm, and then I'm like, holy, you know, you go back to this like uh -huh. really special time. You were uh -huh. like right after you were there when the meatball fell after all the psychedelia of the late sixties, you know, and then, <laughs> yeah. and then everything, everything was so psychedelicized. It didn't matter if you were square or not. It was just totally yeah. out. And you yeah. had, you were able to play like original music during that time. And it's, I'm sure it wasn't the fantasy that I assume it was, but I just feel like um, you guys, it was seen as a viable profession. You know, that's the yeah. thing that, you know that concerns me today is just the propensity of amazing cats not enough venues frankly not enough bands but you know it was right. seen as a profession back in your time right or potentially a profession you know yeah yeah if, that's right if you, if you were uh yeah, fortunate enough to hook up with some some people that that were making noise it that, that uh that you know got a little popular yeah you could make a living doing it and then you know, I mean, there were those who got the the full on brass ring, and and I kind of, you know, in spite of not uh, being a part of one of those giant bands or whatever that that came out of that time period, I got a taste of it, and I got to work with all those guys, you know, right, in one right. situation or another. So, man, I count myself. I'm so blessed. I got to say, and I'm so grateful for that. Man. That's so cool. Um, no, I mean, part of it's uh, timing and luck as well uh, and, and, and yeah. grace. But like, um, wh what was the, uh, were you somebody that was going to the Golden Bear or were you, were you, would you go to Shelly's Manhole? Would you go to any jazz clubs? I mean, grow like, you know, in your, in your teens. Oh up. yeah, man. Absolutely. And speaking of the Golden Bear, which I happen to live not far from. I Dude, someday in... me and you are gonna go. If you're, we we gotta we gotta go get a beer there. I I mean I've been, I've never been there, but like I remember oh. I did an interview with Jim Keltner and he talked about uh, trading sandals with Jack DeJanet in the parking lot there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you talk about, yeah, 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 sick, sick. Man, I saw I saw Jack DeJanet uh, yeah. at the Golden Bear playing with Charles Lloyd. No way. Oh, they played the bear? They played the golden bear? 
He oh played at the Garden. That yeah, is the best Lloyd. story I've heard in 2024, man. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. Oh, God. Wow. And I was like, you know, I was all of 16 or something at the time. And I taken <laughs> my girlfriend, I was going to try to impress her with the fact that I was I was hip. Right? Yeah. You're going to see some hip, hip music. Yeah. 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 And and, uh, you know, back then they would play the head to one song and then goodbye right gone they'd be out and play one yeah. song 40 set. minutes yeah totally yeah yeah <laughs> i didn't so know what insane, the hell was man. going on man where one was i i didn't have a clue dude i would have been losing my i hope people were dancing i fear they weren't <laughs> but I, I hope people were dancing dude. well they were those that that did that understood yeah. But I, I certainly wasn't one. Of you them. were just hanging with your girls. I mean, that is so. Yeah. <laughs> but the golden bear, man, is so funny. I saw everybody. I mean, I way into the blues, and Paul Butterfield, yeah. you know, played there regularly, and the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. I play some harp too. That's my second instrument. And wow. man, and I used to. God, I just love going to the bear. I've saw, seen so many great bands over the years there. But then Honk ended up being like, you know, we were there like a lot, man. We'd, we, dude, was, that's we insane. Were you like kind of the house band there? In a way, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, we played there probably more than any other band there for at least wow. a number of years. And and uh, wow, did anyway, did you did uh did did Levon Helm ever come through? Uh, you know, I never saw him play there. He may have. Yeah, no, I was just thinking he about like well uh, that, that, that that because like Gary Busey was out. I mean, I think Busey was playing in a band. It is a wild, wild scene out there. Yeah, um, yeah. Would yeah. would you go into would you go into L.A. to the manhole, or were you go, or was that just too far drive? You weren't that big a fanatic, or or Dante's or any place like that. Well, when in my teens, no, because I didn't have a car. But mm -hmm. but uh, I would have loved to, uh, but I did. You know, I, I went to the whiskey on occasion. I saw Buddy Rich record a live album at the whiskey. Wow! And, and I saw all kinds of bands, you know, at the whiskey and that. And I would have loved to have have uh, you know the Lighthouse and stuff too. And in in, uh, in Hermosa Beach, you know, I I'd gone to and you know Howard Rumsey then moved it to Concerts by the Sea or whatever. Uh, and I, I, after I'd kind of, uh, you know, was in my twenties and that, and living in LA, I was sort of a regular there. So I lived in the South Bay. But I, I, God, I got to see so many great acts. You know, I, I just feel so fortunate yeah. to have grown up where I did. You know, because uh, everybody, the proximity to LA, plus in Orange County, there were some some legitimate venues. I exactly right. You know, and uh, so I, I got to see so many great bands, man, and all my favorite people. And Christ, I, you know, I even got to see the Beatles at, at the Hollywood Bowl. My mom took us, uh, my sister and I. Man, That's so cool. That, so that, that day she, she used her car to drive you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. didn't have a car yet. Right. Guys. Right. Right. Yeah. God dang, man. You know, just, did you did the so the, the bands I want to ask you about uh Weather Report, Return to Forever, Mahavishnu, uh, uh in their early infancy times, did you see them? Oh man, man. I I not in their infancy, but of course as as with like uh, Jocko and like the, those kind of bands. You saw them with yeah. like, I would have given my left, you know what, man, to have seen Weather Report live. Later on, I did get to know uh, Joe Zawinul some. Really? Uh, yeah, when I was playing with Al Jarreau. you know, everybody loved Al. I, yeah, I, was, I love it. I lived. I Al was. I did great. I love. We did a great interview. Oh, I loved him, man. God, what a one of my favorite human beings to ever take a breath, man. That guy, what a great human being. Totally, dude. We missed that cat hard. Oh, oh big time. Yeah. But Joe was a, a a friend of Al's, and so I I actually met met uh, Joe Zawinul through through Al, as I did meet Chick Chick Corea and everybody, man yeah. Peter Erskine and and you know so many of my heroes I met through my association with Al Jarreau. 
dig this, Jake. I I still pinch myself when I think about this. I was playing with Al Jarreau in Madrid, Spain, and guess who came to see Al, just happened to see that show, and was asked to come up and play a little tune called Spain. (laughs) Chick Corea. (laughs) That is sweet. So Chick was in in the audience. Yeah, yeah, he, well, he came to hang and say he hello. Came to, to hang and he's sitting and, and he's and, sitting in on. Oh my God, dude! Yeah, that I got the I got the play wow. with chick, man. Oh man! No, it's funny. I was just I listening. I was just listening to that the first Return to Forever album with Ayerto on drums, and it, and I, I I literally looked up to the sky today in the morning and just mentioned Chick's name. It was like, now, now you're bringing it up. It's just full circle, man. Oh man. That, and that album, oh my oh. God, it changed my life too, man. That was, yeah. Light as a feather, man. What why, a- why is that? Why is that album? Why did that have such an impact? Not just on you, but I mean, Ayrton was playing, I mean, there's a different kind of Brazilian clave beat going on, but still the band was, Relatively acoustic at that point. I mean, Stanley yeah, was definitely Stanley still playing, was upright. playing upright. Yeah, right. yeah, it was acoustic pretty much. Yeah, I mean, except of course, Chick was using- playing the electric. Joe Farrell playing horn. You know, I'm just wondering what it was about the group because it wasn't just you. I know that album had a huge impact on the like the drummers from the Grateful Dead and like other people like that. It seemed oh, like yeah, it was man. it was well, more. First, yeah, go ahead. First of all, samba. You know, right? I, that's right. That's, man, where I've really first, you know... Started. You're telling me that you weren't, like, was it electrics? Or, or, or we just said it was acoustic, because, like, I mean, uh, Peter Betts, and and I forget who the, the drummer was, but I mean, Gantz was doing that that Bossa Nova stuff, you know, five, six years early. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that, that was a form that I was more familiar with, was Bossa Nova, but Samba, I had never... Samba, that's right, Samba, yeah. And, and that, that's... Uh, they samba is like you know most of so many of the tunes on that record are samba right know? right and, and uh, that style of drumming man just uh tore my head off man it was just it was so cool man that that really hadn't been on a record before that kind of yeah, drum. not that i was aware yeah of. i think you're right i, I mean I, I i i mean outside from records <laughs> the just brazilian uh records that were pressed in brazil as in, right. on a ja- on a jazz record there was nothing precursor to that that was that i guess that's what it was that's beautiful and yeah, then you get I to agree. play with it yeah it's unrelievable oh man yeah it was something and of course all the incarnations of chicks bands is i mean all of them with everybody all the personnel over the years man i mean all- <laughs> another uh another guy just a sweet human being you know Yes, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, got to, I, I got to meet John McLaughlin through Al as well. We we did a show, a number of shows together. I, Johnny's just, I, yeah, I've been, uh, I love the guy so much. You know, I mean, I, yeah, it's just, uh, I, how important is it for, I mean, I'm curious about if you believe that, um, you know, that music has maybe saved your life. Oh, Man, without a doubt. I mean, it has been my life. And so, I mean, it, it, it's not only saved it, it has taught me everything that I know in life. <laughs> it's been my life. Well, tell and, me what you tell me what you've learned through music and about life. Oh, my God. Well, oh, well, the metaphors are many. Um, that's fine i mean just yeah no i'd love to hear even just one or two examples it's it's important because let me see um um well first of all uh first and foremost um the more you learn the more you find out how little you know (laughs) and yeah yeah with music and in life life in general um right right i mean that's right i i completely agree is there a tangible example of something in music where you were like i got it I, you know i'm pretty good at this and then all of a sudden you were just like wow i really don't know anything but that wasn't it wasn't it didn't it didn't you know what it was this is what i'm trying to get at is like it didn't 
it, 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 when you found out about that realization, it inspired you. It didn't prompt you to put the sticks down and quit and feel discouraged. It inspired no. you to keep, keep growing. Although there have been those moments where you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, everyone, man. Everyone, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, and and watching, you know, a masterful player, uh, you know, can be alternately within a few bars inspiring and so depressing that you're ready to quit, you know. Huh. So, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, it's very humbling. Music has, has taught me uh, certainly a lot of humility as as life will as well. And and uh, no matter who you are, and you know, and uh, well, who was it? The the uh, uh, what was his name? Oh, the uh, 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 Warren Zevon titled a uh, an album. Life will kill you. <laughs> That's like you know, nobody escapes, and nobody's going to escape all the disappointment, all the, hum uh, the humbling experiences, and uh, as well as all the elation and all the joy, and the hopefully, you know, in, in their lives as well. Um, so I don't know, and likewise, music, you know, is uh, I feel all those, uh, I, I felt all those emotions just listening to certain pieces of music, you know, much less having the privilege of being able to play music and then communicate those emotions musically to people and touch their hearts. I mean, what a, what a great gift that is. You know, we've been given as musicians to be able to touch people in those recesses in their, their hearts that, you know, only music can, can get to, I, you know, that's a really, truly a privilege to be able to do that and make a living doing it. Yeah, you know? it's a, yeah absolutely. It's a privilege. I, I, I'm i glad it popped back into my head. There's no doubt in my mind that in your early part of your career, especially in the live settings, you weren't necessarily, I guess the whiskey probably had a pretty, pretty nice sound system, but there were a lot of clubs that were very, had antiquated PAs, um, you know, uh, and there were no in-ear monitors and I just, I, I really couldn't think of a better person to talk to because you've been on both sides of this thing. Like the idea of, I have a big problem with, um, with cats and I, wearing in-ear monitors yeah. to me, to me that you're, you're, you're synthetically taking in the music and you're more concerned with hearing yourself as opposed to the other people in the band. And yeah. Like, I have no doubt that when Tris Imboden was on the bandstand, you know, maybe a light stanchion fell over or people are talking. And the point is that the environmental noise, uh -huh. the environmental sonic uh, sound, I don't want to say noise, is part of the musical equation. And uh -huh. I just wonder if you, like with Chicago or like, did you, are you, like, did you resist in your monitors? I feel like, yeah, I didn't really. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't like them, man. And uh, although I, I was forced to embrace them and get used to them, you know, because it was sort of a band decision, you know, that happened with. with Why did they make that decision? Uh, well, first of all, you know, uh, sonically, the house, you know, front house guy, there's less, uh, you know sound bleeding into open microphones right you know at and that was always the bane of most uh front house guys you know they're always complaining about that and so without the wedges and the monitors and that uh leaking into the vocal mics or the drum mics whatever you know so so it cleaned up the sound ostensibly to and and to make it better in the house you know, which, you know, that's reasonable, but, but man, I like to move air. I like to feel the air being moved that's you right. know, around me. I, that's I, right. And man, you know, uh, there's nothing like, and I, I, I wear hearing aids, aids now as a result of the stage levels. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've, no, I mean, that's the fault. I mean, you but, can, yeah, that's the fallout from it, but I, yeah. It, it, it's it's do you feel like so when those when those in ears 
are locked in, like you're just sort of in some sort of, <clears throat> um, how should I say this? Uh, some sort of like synthetic experiment. You're not, there's not really, the elements aren't at work per se. Well, it's it's just a little Faisal hex clean sounding to me. Right, it's too, it's too, it's too slick, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, they even tried to compensate, you know, of course, it came up with with uh, things to give you the audio illusion of, of like, you know, bass response and, and all by, you know, we put kickers like these transducers on the bottom of the drum thrones, you know, wow. uh, so you hit your bass drum and you and it vibrates and it feels like you're moving air so that you know, coupled with what you're hearing and your in-ears, you know, which is like uh, much less actual sound and volume uh, than you would with a, a, a big monitor speaker. Well, it will give you the illusion because your butt's shaking while <laughs> right. the bass drum <laughs> or the bass player's playing, you know, but it's still, you know, it's an approximation. It's not quite the same thing. And I miss... I, I really do miss, you know, the old days in that respect. I also miss my hearing, though, frankly. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, that's a whole other subject. I mean, do you feel like your ears grew the most in honk? Like, just because you got, like, you were, you got to hang on for dear life and listen. You had to really listen to everybody. You know, it was not, um, it, 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 everything is too... <clears throat> And I'm not trying to, I, all I'm saying is I, when I go to, I just went, came back from uh, Denver to see my uh, favorite band play Circles Around the Sun. And it's a full instrumental band uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of cool, uh, good, amazing vibe. And, and you know, I, I want to be right up front because I want the ambient feel uh, off the bandstand. Uh, I want that, that rhythm and that natural feel. I don't want it coming through those speakers. My yeah. hearing is actually much better than I, 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 it hasn't been damaged because I'm never in front of the speakers. I have to get the Nat sound and I'm not yeah. going to go to, I, I'm just not going to go to a show where I'm staring at a TV screen. I don't think that's what music is about. You know, I it's just, agree, man. you know, I man, let's just give me a, I'd rather go to some funky ass bar in Denver and rock out and really raise the vibrate collective vibration then like, anyway, I'm preaching, we're preaching to the choir here, you know? I feel you, man. I really completely agree. Yeah. Yeah, man. I am of the same ilk. <laughs> you know, I gotta, I gotta ask you, are you, how much, what do you got in store at least in the year of the winter here in 20, to start 2024? Well, I, uh, we just, uh, I have a band, you know, there was, there's this musical genre that, sort of was a surprise that that uh, uh, became kind of as prominent and as embraced and and a thing as it is now. Uh, yacht rock, you know. <laughs> dude, I know. Oh, my God. Dude, you, dude, you'd be the best yacht rock drummer ever. Oh, but bro. Well, I was so blessed to be a part of so many of those records wow. that are considered you know, and work with artists that are considered like in the Mount Rushmore of Yacht Rock artists. You know, Loggins and, and Michael McDonald. I want to do a whole segment on that. I want to just do a whole segment on Yacht Rock, dude. Oh, we'll cool. Just, I'd love to. Do, yeah, I, we won't even get into it right now. That is just so insane. Okay, man. Well, I've got a band of ringers, man. And we just did two great shows at this jazz club, Spagatini and in, in, uh, Seal Beach, that uh, it's been there for all, I guess all, thirty years, and uh, I've got uh, boy, it's a great band too, man. I'll tell you about. Yeah, if you guys get some gigs, you get, if you're gonna play, let me know. I'll try to make it out for a gig. Okay, I will. I live, I live in Tucson, so you know, I mean, that's so sick that you're that you're cranking this stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Well, we're having fun, man, because. Uh, you know, now at this point in our lives, we, we we can. We can do it and have fun doing it and not, you know, like beat ourselves up, you know, for, on the road for months on end anymore, you know. Um, I'm uh, I'm happy to be in position to not have to be out there 
doing it all the time, uh, 10 months out of the year. Well, no, I mean, that's, 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 I mean, you know, my, my peers, that's where they're, and it's just, it's harder than ever, man. I feel yeah. like, I feel like logins for you to be on those tours, it was pretty hot, hot it was pretty first class. I mean, you were traveling well, you, the gigs paid well, you had a roof oh. over, you stayed at the same place for a week as, or a few days at a time, you really, uh, it was, Today the model is basically unsustainable, and you didn't even have a merchandise team. So yeah. it was like, I mean, it was it was a a record, a commerce-based record industry. All I'm saying is there are so many hungry, amazing dudes out there. So you just got to keep pulling forward, doing everything you can to keep the modern road dog alive, Chris. We'll do this. Definitely do set two soon. Yeah, well, that'd be great, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we're. Uh... Yeah, we're looking forward to doing more, and uh, we've been selling out, you know, these smaller pl uh, little places and just having a great time doing it and playing, you know, tunes that we all had skin in the game uh, uh, in the creation of, you know, or or have worked with the artists live and played the, these songs live. That's the whole criteria. Um, I'll tell did you. you ever, did you ever publish uh, a successful Yacht Rock tune? Uh, myself, you mean publishing? Well, I mean, like where you where you would get publishing credit uh, for? Um, uh, not uh, no, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but it I've doesn't matter. You'd stay in the game because you were getting calls to do all those records. So, oh uh, yeah. yeah, uh, of the top five on the Yachtsky uh scale, <laughs> I I played on on number two and number four. Of uh, no, three out of five I'm playing on. So, <laughs> wow. and, and that, you know, and the, the scale goes to like 200 or something. So, anyway, yeah. So, I I had the good fortune of being a, a big part of that. So, I'm grateful for that. Tris, everybody, uh, it's an absolute honor, man. Let's, uh, I'll have this up later tonight and, uh, and, and we'll get, we'll be in touch. Uh, and thank you for being my first interview in 2024. Oh man, I'm really flattered you asked me, man, and I really enjoyed myself. Thanks a lot, Jake. I'm... Oh man, I'll have this up later, man. Well, it was a ball, man. Thank you so much, brother. Okay. Well, all right. Uh, all right. Well, all the best to you and happy new year. Thank you, man. See you soon. All right. Okay. All, all right. right. Bye. Take care. Bye bye.